All right. Uh, the last couple of weeks, are we good? Yeah. Last couple of weeks, we've been uh, dealing with a mini series called "Building a Case for a God We Can Trust," because again, we've been we've been talking about how the world uh, defines who God is. I, I just saw a, a Ravi Zacharias uh, short clip video where an atheist challenges him, and he gives a beautiful answer back to the to the honest question of this atheist. And it's just another picture. And by the way, Ravi is one of the best apologists I know. Uh, he has a heart to bring light to people, not tear people down. There are some apologists or some answer people in the Christian world. They'll, they'll answer all your questions, but they're always a harsh answer. They're always smashing down the person asking the question. Or It's so unloving. And Ravi's not like that. I love his heart and his intellect and what he brings to the table. We are all part of the body of Christ. And that question that was raised in the video points to a question everybody's asking in the world. Who is this God we say we believe in? And uh, today we're going to talk about already forgiven because last week we finished the two-part on being reconciled, that we are already reconciled, and we're building a case from the Scriptures. So today I want to do the same thing. Uh, take a look at what we did talk about, the idea of a God we can trust, but which God? The world is asking which God. You can't choose the American God because God is neither American, Canadian, Russian, Ukrainian, nothing. He, he, God is neither and all. Okay? He's, he's the creator of all those people, but he is not one of in any of those institutions. So if a certain group says, ah, God is with us and not with you, <sighs> really? Do we have to go there? Are you that narrow to think that that's how God works, that we can manipulate God into our little systems and then beat people over the head with, with that God? That, that's the God people don't want to believe in. That's why this is so important. And so we took a look at the first, the, the need to, to look at the sources we can trust, the scriptures, healthy church history, um, the need to look at the person we can trust, Jesus being the source. We begin with Jesus, not, not the Old Testament stories. We begin with Christ and what he has to say about us. And I think that is where we can find great comfort in believing this God we can say in. And the number one thing, and I'll just highlight it right now, the reason that is so important is when, when Philip asked Jesus, can you show us the Father? And you've heard this here many times, but I have to keep plugging in because this is really important. He said to Philip, have I been with you long enough? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, the Father and I are one. Okay? Jesus declares at that moment, he is just like the Father, the Father is just like him. The Father you've been told about, it has been an incomplete definition and a picture. Jesus comes and arrives with the full, complete picture for the first time in history. So that's why Jesus is so important, because he's the one who knows the Father the best, right? No one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son or the Father except that the Son reveals. So this is all through this person we, name, we know as Jesus. We also need a pattern we can trust, verses that prove how God sees us. And that's why we had a pattern of scriptures in the last two weeks on, look, what does the scripture say about a reconciliation? What does it mean? We defined it because some people don't even know what the word means. It's just a term flung in and we just pretend we don't, mm, yeah, mm, amen, and have no clue. Well, today we're digging into a big one. We're going to talk about some misunderstandings on the topic of our forgiveness. 
I, I took 13 weeks teaching through a series called Healing Life's Hurts Through Understanding Forgiveness, and it was one of the most powerful topics I've taught through for myself and for others. And only one of the messages we talked about our forgiveness from our Heavenly Father to, to us, and the rest of the series was how do we manage forgiveness between one another, the relational stuff. And that was, that's where we're at today, living with, with each other. How do we handle that? But today I want to lay a picture because there are some misunderstandings about forgiveness that prevent people from believing in the God Jesus told us about. His father, his daddy, his papa. And I'm going to call out some of the misunderstandings right now, and then I'm, I'm going to point to a pattern of scriptures that say some things that cannot be misunderstood. They're blunt. They're clear in my mind, in my heart. And all I ask you to do, let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. All right? I've wrestled with this for a long time. I've been a pastor for 29 years. Uh, this topic has been all over the place. So I've wrestled with the, uh, the stuff I'm going to share with you right now, because that's where I was, um, and, and how that misconception brought me to a place of absolute brokenness when I came to a place to discover I was already forgiven. And that's a place this world needs to see and hear. That will draw people to Christ, not turn or burn kind of mentality. So let's, let's take a look. Here's what we've been told. You are not forgiven until you get saved. How many have heard the term, got to get saved? Okay, almost all of you. All right, we're going to talk about that in a minute. So that's a, we've been told by religion or other sources, you're not forgiven until you get saved. Therefore, um, you can't, what it does, it prevents a block that uh, if I don't know God, if I'm not a Christian uh, or a believer, uh, then I'm not forgiven. Well, i got some stuff to show you in Scripture today that you get to wrestle through. Number two, you're not reconciled and accepted until you're saved. Okay, that's what we've been told. You're not holy or righteous until you get saved. That's a tough one. Like, I'm, I'm talking about the benefits of the cross here. This is, this is heavy duty. You showed up on a Sunday where I'm dealing with a very, very deep Heavy subject, so bear with me as I kind of shake a little bit inside. <laughs> but I'm sorry, this is where I'm at now. We've been told that to repent means get saved. Repent! You know, you, these street corner preachers are having these signs, repent, repent, repent. Well, what does repent mean? Well, it does not mean get saved at all. It means change your direction of thinking. Renew your mind. Change your thoughts. That's what repent means in its simplest form. We've been told it's only when we get saved that all these benefits are applied. That's what we've been told, correct? How many have heard that? Uh, I have. I grew up with that. But if you don't talk about it, it's implied. And if it's not talked about it and somebody confronts the topic, they're, they're confused. There's a wall that goes up. No, I don't believe all that because there's an unknown wall that nobody talks about. Well, I'm talking about it. It's time to bring it out and let's get going here. Uh, we've been told that you get saved by saying the prayer. Okay? If you've done any evangelism explosion courses or any outreach programs to walk you through how to get people saved, you get them to say a prayer and you tweak the prayer based on your denomination and, and tribe you're with. But <laughs> that, that's not true. There is no place in Scripture where there is a prayer. 
I'm just saying. Good luck finding it. It's not there. Um, the prayer helps. Okay, it can help us create a mindset change. That's fine. But the prayer, so you can mark a notch on your belt. There, I saved four people today, or uh, we won fifty people to Christ. That's great. Bless your heart. Uh, maybe it's not about the numbers. Maybe it's about discipling, walking with people, so they can discover the Jesus. Sorry, the God Jesus talked about. Slowly, carefully, so we grow to become committed followers of Christ, not of religion, but of Christ. There's a big difference. What else? Oh, there's one more. We've been told that being forgiven or not equals destination obsession. All right, heaven or hell. It's the unspoken one. Well, if you're not forgiven, you're going to hell. You know? How many have heard that or... Yes. Well, some more misunderstandings regarding forgiveness. We have been told that it's up to us, not Jesus, to get forgiven. (laughs) It's up to us, our words, our confession, how we say it, the right incantation. Hmm. It's up to us to stay forgiven. Okay, that, that's, if it's not taught, it's implied. Now, I have to give a shout out to my, my upbringing, to all the pastors and leaders that have spoken into my life. Were they wrong? No. Could they have been? Yes. But to me, I cannot say they were all wrong or that person was wrong or this wrong. In my mind at the time where I was, based on my lens, my struggles, my blindness, my darkness, I heard certain things through my cultural lenses had nothing to do with how it was presented. So we're, we do not have a right to go blaming in anyone else, which I kind of used to do. Well, uh, that pastor over there, he teaches that, so let me kind of do all that stuff. You, you can't do that. It, it doesn't lend to the body of Christ being built up. And there's zero humility in that. We've also been told that we need to keep a running list and confess every sin, including the ones we didn't know we did. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, I gotta make sure you confess all your sins. Oh, Lord, forgive me for all the sins of omission, the ones I should have, oh, yeah, and I didn't give food to that beggar. Sorry, forgive me for that too. And uh, I, what? I didn't help that person who fell? Oh, forgive me for that. And suddenly we're so obsessed. And where's the obsession here? Sin, obsession, and religion is obsessed with sin. Jesus is not. Jesus is not obsessed with sin. So if you are, that ain't Jesus. That's a culture mindset that needs to be repented of. Change direction and see how Christ wants us to see things. I want to see things as Christ sees them, wouldn't you? Let's go to the source. I want to see how does God view this stuff? How does Jesus view this? We've been told the implication for eternity is if you don't is, so if you don't forget your sin, um, confess your sins, if you don't get forgiven up on time, you're praising the Lord out of the parking lot. Woohoo! praise the Lord. Somebody cuts you off and, and you're coming out of the parking lot full steam and you give them the bird, okay? Because and, and, you're mad now, but you're just praising God. Okay, so you're all clean. But now you go to the parking lot, you... Get mad, give him the bird, didn't see the truck coming, smash and you get killed. 
but you didn't confess that sin of giving them the bird. You show up in heaven, God says, sorry, rules are rules. Can't allow sin in here. Bye-bye, roasty toasty. Honestly, if we're going to be honest about that mindset, that's where it leads to. I'm calling it out. That has to be a way to see this. That to confess our sins means to ask for forgiveness, we've been told. That is not what confessing our sin means. Confessing our sin does not mean asking for forgiveness. Confessing means literally to agree with. That's what confessing means. I'm going to get into that a little later. But the short answer, because some of you are going, what? Wait a minute. Ah, what are we going to do? I can't wait that long. The idea of confessing. When I do sin, here's how I pray now. Father, I confess that smacking James was wrong. I did it in anger. It was inconsistent with my nature. Therefore, I confess I am already forgiven. See, I'm confessing truth. I agree with God. I am already forgiven. Now may I work things out with James well so we can reconcile our relationship. Do you see the difference? I said, dear God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. I spent years at the front of my church, especially in Fort Erie, begging God for forgiveness for stuff I did. Okay, I, I, I had to ask multiple times because I just want to make sure that sin was forgiven because I didn't really feel it was forgiven. So and I, I'm weeping. Like I'm not making this up, and I'm not trying to be funny about this, but honestly, my heart wept, begging, because I wasn't certain I was forgiven. And the day I woke up was when I read a book called Classic Christianity by Bob George. And right after that, Grace Walk by Steve McVeigh. Those two books woke me up to a revelation that caused me to go on to a journey to discover, wait a minute, how much of what I've been told is true? What does the scripture really say? I'm here to share with you this morning a quick shot at forgiveness. Al Pacino says, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work like that. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> Never mind. It's got nothing to do with it, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> so what if there are more hope-filled perspectives from those who've gone before us? What if this lens that I've just shared with you, this bunch of questions, that's typical Western theology. A lot of denominations think like that, and that's... that's their prerogative. But what if throughout history that is not the only lens? What if there has been a more ancient, a better perspective from the early church fathers? What if the scriptures clearly imply a better hope? So instead of me telling you what to believe, which I cannot do, don't ever say, but I believe whatever Mike says, that, that'd be the most foolish thing you could ever do. I want you to believe something because the spirit in you confirms something is true and you believe it in here. And with that requires wrestling, not a quick sermon. If anything, I should cause you to even disagree with me and cause you to dig deeper yourself. Wait a minute, does it really say that? I know it was on the screen, but I want to see it in my own Bible. I want to see what the original language says. That's what this should cause us to do. How does Jesus then view sin and humanity? Here we go. 
This is, this is going to show you that Jesus is not sin-obsessed, but religion is. Daniel 9.24, old covenant, by the way, just a heads up. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Okay, that's, that's Old Testament. I'm going to whip through a lot of verses. I'm going to stop and pause on a couple words, but I want you to see the repetition, okay? Matthew one twenty one, New Testament, not New Covenant, New Testament. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus come? To save people from their sin. That's one of the reasons. Not the only, but one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of believers who say the prayer. No. Because he came to take away the sin of the world. The cosmos. Matthew 26, 28, for this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. That's what the cross did. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 9.26, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How's that for some repetition? Pretty clear, hey, this is, this is what's going on. One more. 1 John 2.2 2 in the Passion Translation, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Ah, there it is. I'm not making this up. Well, if that's true, uh, but I thought I was special. I thought I was a Christian. They're not. I'm in. They're not. I'm clean. They're filthy, dirty. I'm not wretched. They are. Oh, it's so nice to live over here, isn't it? In full judgment. Jesus didn't come to judge like that. That kind of talk, that is not Christ. That is the opposite of Christ. Okay? Be careful. Previous, that was just now, was the previous pattern of how God views sin. Now we're going to see a pattern regarding a forgiveness. So th these are the key verses I want you to catch now. And it's making the case. You're going to have one or two from last week built into this because the, you just can't help it because uh, this is too powerful. Listen to this. 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. He's talking about child, young man, father. Child, young adult, adult. The child level of faith. The child level. Oh, how embarrassing. If we put ourselves in those slots, where are we? I am calling out those who do not see themselves as forgiven as little, little children. No matter how much theology they know, they are children in this process because they don't even know their sins are forgiven. This is the basics. This is 101 Jesus. The cross, 101. Sins have been forgiven, past tense. Is that pretty clear? 
from 2 Peter 1.9. I love this one. In fact, I love the section just before that. It's one of my favorite texts to teach from. It's the progression of maturing and growing. It says, but those who fail to develop in this way, and it's talking about the, the journey of maturing, those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old life of sins. This is past tense. You may have been taught you've been forgiven, but may, maybe you've forgotten, and therefore you don't feel it, and you've been led to believe that you have to stay forgiven up. It's up to you. Keep begging, keep begging, keep begging, keep begging. If this is true, it changes the level of freedom that you get to live from. It really does. Ephesians 1.7, New Living Translation says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Did it happen? Yes or no? And by the way, did Jesus win at the cross when it came to putting away sin? Did it happen? Yes or no? Okay. So if that fact is true, this fact is true that we are also forgiven, what's the problem? Up here. Get your mind right. Ephesians 1.7 in the Passion Translation says, Since we are now joined to Christ, key, ding, 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 if you don't know that, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. One of the benefits of grace is forgiveness. It's offered. It's done. There are many who will not believe it. They refuse to believe it. And they will live in that torment. They're going to live in their own hell because they do not believe that. It causes a hell in your thinking. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. This one's really big. Here we go. And when you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. When, when did he make you alive? When we were dead and were blind and had no idea. Correct? Yes? When we were dead, it happened. Then he made you alive, together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. One of the biggest things that have happened, and that's why reconciliation last week was so important, there's a huge hindrance for our relationship towards God. There was something in the way, and it was sin. It was blindness, darkness. We, we could not see the goodness of God because of our own mindsets that were locked into God is so far from us. We're separated from God. <laughs> and yet, here we have a fact we must contend with. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. Are there some relationships where there's lack of kindness, harshness, anger, 
sharp words, harsh words, even words that are spoken with terrible actions but not put into words, that's not Christ. Stop it. Evaluate. This is what you've been called to. Be kind because kindness has been placed in you. It's in your nature to be kind. No, it's not. I have a very narrow personality type and I just don't like people. Oh, yeah? But Christ lives in you. Therefore, you're in union with Christ. Your identity is Christ in you. That Christ is kind. Now be that Christ. Let that Christ out of you. Christ is in you and he wants out. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. We skip over all this stuff when we look at this, remember your sins no more, but take a look at this for a minute. This old covenant. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. So God wipes out transgressions. Why? For his own sake. Not to make you feel good. For his own sake. And then, I will not remember your sins anymore. Huh. Remember that song, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed your transgressions from us. Remember that song? Yeah. Yeah! This is the God we say we believe in. And to remember something, keep this in mind. If I have an accident and I sever my, my hand for some weird reason, let's go for a thumb, it's less gross. Just, just kidding. Let's say I sever a thumb. And uh, it's, what's, what's happened to my thumb now? It has been what? Dismembered. I go to the hospital and it's remembered, reattached. He is not going to remember your sins anymore. He chooses not to remember them. He will not hold them against you. But you don't know how bad I've been. God does. And he's made the provision for it. And the more you realize, the more you come to believe how great that gift of grace is, it's going to cause you to not want to sin, not drive it to sin. Somebody's going to say, well, that's greasy grace. You're just saying people can sin all they want. It won't matter. Oh, yes, it matters. And no, you can't sin all you want. Because who are you? Who is the you that wants? So if you say, I want to do all I want, I want to sin all I want, I can sin all I want. Who is the I? When I say, I can sin all I want. Flesh. Well, that flesh isn't the real you. The real you does not want to. Know who you are. Oh, shoot, maybe that's half the problem in our churches. People don't know who they are in Christ. And they've not been taught how to live from Christ in them without any ulterior motives. It's always ulterior motives. To grow the church, to do this, to blah, 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 to evangelize. That list is the overflow of get to, not have to. There's a big difference. The actions may not change, but the motive does. 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, I love this one. 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How many times have you heard this at a funeral, or especially a wedding? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not irritable. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And that word love is agape. God is love. God keeps no record 
of wrongs. So why do you? Why do we do it towards each other? Preach to the mirror now. <laughs> Just don't have to look at anybody. <laughs> Seriously. Why do we keep the records of wrongs? Oh, it's so much easier because then we can blame them, never take responsibility. This grace we are talking about will cause our hearts to see all, especially those in our family, as loved and accepted and treat them as such. Until we've come to that place, it's not going to show in our actions because we haven't believed it fully yet. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There are people that are begging for forgiveness and God's going, I don't remember. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's not. Instead, he's whispering, Christ in you. Know who you are. I love you. Oh wait, I like you too. That's the voice of the Spirit. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is a reminder that you are in Christ. You have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. It's already done. It has happened. And we live by faith in the Son of God, except the King James gets it right. King James, and if you look in any Greek uh, lexicons, you'll find out that the word, um, uh, by, the word in is not there. The Young's literal translation says, I live by Son of God faith. We live by the faith of the Son of God. It's his faith to begin with. We don't have faith of our own. So we come to Christ by faith? Yeah, his faith. He's the one who wakes us up. We can't wake ourselves up. We're blind, remember? <laughs> we're the ones who are lost. Oh, and he comes after those who are lost. And if we're blind, he comes to help the blind see. This is the good news. This should be good news, not scary news. God's for us, not against us. Romans 8.1, now, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you have an inkling of condemnation voices in your heads? It's not from Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation. Zero. Any condemning voice. And that includes your voice condemning others. Stop. Speaking to the mirror. <laughs> this, is, this is for me too. I'm, I'm with you here. I'm learning this. I'm re being reminded of this because we are forgetful. Just like we read in, in um, 2 Peter 1 where it says, you have forgotten that your sins have already been forgiven. We forget stuff. Sometimes our chaos in our lives causes us to not remember those foundations of honest truth and simplicity of Christ in us. And we wonder, God, I'm desperate for you. And he's going, I'm right here. I've never left you. I'm the one actually holding you right now. But I'm sinking. No, you're not. I got you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's an impossibility. Colossians 1. Christ holds some things together. No. Christ, who created the universe and everything in it, visible and invisible, holds all things together. 
there is an objective truth. Every molecule, particle in this universe is being held together by God. Some call it dark matter. Some people call it the God particle. Who knows? But it is Christ. And if Christ holds all things in our entire universe together, there's an objective reality that says he is not absent from anything or anyone, believer or unbeliever, chair or table. He still holds it together. Don't tell people they're separated from God. Tell them in their minds they can't see it. That's where the separation happens. It's not an actual separation. That's impossible. How can anything be independent of God? It would have to be its own God and source of life. Just think about that for a minute. That, That alone will blow your mind. You don't have that kind of power. You're being held together by the life of Christ. And he wants to wake you up to the reality of his love and goodness that he has already forgiven you, made you right. Now believe it so you can benefit from it. Because if you don't believe it, it's of no benefit to you. And you continue living in the state of sin, which is not believing what is true. 1 Corinthians 1.30. I love this. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Who has? Who, who did the uniting? God. Oh my goodness. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He has made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. You have all been set free from sin. No one is locked into sin and unfree. Everyone is free. Some choose to go run down and back into that jail cell that's wide open. And sin will have its consequences, but it won't be God punishing you. It'll be sin. There are consequences to our really bad choices. There just are. There's no way around it. But oh, the benefits of the positive choices to make those changes by the power of Christ in us as he motivates those changes. (laughs) The New American Standard Bible says, but by his doing or of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did it, not your prayer. You don't have that kind of power. I hear more and more people say they heard the voice from within. Something inside them told them, yeah. God has spoken to almost everybody in this world one way or another. Most may not recognize that they've been spoken to through a peaceful glance, through kind words through clear sharing, through nature. God has spoken. Pray that their ears are open. Pray for your loved ones that don't believe. Pray that they'll awaken to the revelation of God's love for them. That is a beautiful prayer. Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Passion translation, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. When Jesus died, we died. We were placed into Christ. While we were dead, blind, 
not knowing anything, we died with Christ and we rose with him. We have new life. Now believe it. Make it worth it. All right. I'm not going to deal with the other one. That's it for this morning. That's a lot of verses. But I'm building the case. Take a look at these verses. We have been forgiven. You need not feel guilty that, oh, no, I'm not forgiven. You have been. That's why Jesus came. One of the reasons he came. So take it to heart. Not because I say so. Go read your scriptures yourself and ask the Holy Spirit. And all the, yeah, but, what about this? What about that verse? That's great. How about you, yeah, but, about the ones i just given you first and wrestle with these? Then deal with the other yeah, buts. There will always be yeah, buts. Nobody has the full, clear answer. No one. So trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. Trust the Spirit of Christ in you. Let's pray. Last uh, couple years, uh, having to visit these topics that I'm sharing with you, it's caused me to ask a lot more questions. I've been given answers my whole life and was never really free to question them. Now I'm questioning a lot of those answers and I'm finding a bigger and better God. Is your God getting bigger or smaller? Is he controlled and fully understandable? If your package of God is fully understandable, you got a problem. <laughs> He's so much bigger, so much better. His love reaches farther than we can imagine. So as you imagine how far the farthest star is, it's farther than that. And then when you reach that spot, it's farther than that. Do you know what I mean? It just goes on and on and on. That's how far and wide his love is. So if we control it in the system of religion and say this is the boundaries of God's love and how far he's allowed to go, we've made a big mistake and limit our understanding and teachability. Let the Spirit be your teacher. No man or woman. Let the Spirit be your teacher. Trust the Spirit in you. God's given you a new heart and you can trust it. Some people have said your heart is wickedly evil. Well, that's what the Bible and the Old Covenant said. But we've been given a new heart. You have a good heart. You can trust your heart. <laughs> Man, God's good. This is the God I want to talk about. This is the God I want shining through me in all that I do and everywhere I go. Thank you so much for being here. See you next week.